Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of Trekkers Delight Comrades, where we talk about race relations and discrimination and how it applies to our comrades in Star Trek. But first, let me introduce myself. My name is Roy. I'm a lifelong Trekker and expert on the original series. You can give me a trivia test on it, and I'll probably pass with flying colors. And uh, it's a close second to that, maybe. Danger, I don't know. It's a toss-up. We still haven't uh, figured it out yet. Go ahead, Danger. <laughs> challenge, challenge in the first <laughs> minute of this episode. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see. Um, <clears throat> so um, I started watching the original series in 1966 when it came out. I was would have been eight back then. Um, so um, pretty much, uh, as far as I'm concerned, a lifelong trekker. And uh, oh, William Danger Newman's the name. Uh, Star Trek's the game, um, especially for this show. So, anyway, uh, looking forward to some interesting discussion tonight. We got some very cool episodes to chat about, I think, right, Jermaine? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. My name is Jermaine Watson. Um, I have, I'm also a lifelong trekker, but hey, I realized that it, it doesn't compare to either one of you. I'm putting you all <laughs> on, on the same pedestal. Um, but I'm here. <laughs> My God, I'm here. My God, I'm here. <laughs> That's the important thing. <laughs> You're here now. Yes, I am. <laughs> all right. So with that, let's go ahead and queue up our Intro to the show. What's up, Trekkies? It's your boy Will Wofford here with Trekkers Delight, a Star Trek-inspired podcast. Before we get started, we're going to give away $100, so make sure you like, comment, and subscribe to our channel where we will announce the lucky winner every single week. Now, welcome to Trekkers Delight. All right, I think we got it that time. Okay, so... <laughs> So in this episode of Comrades, we're going to be discussing a classic TOS episode called Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, guest starring Frank Gorshin. You know him from Batman. He played the Riddler, and I guess he just loves wearing tights, so here he is again. <laughs> I've queued up a nice little, created a nice little intro for that episode as well, so see you in a few minutes. Play that. On the way to decontaminate the planet Arianus, the Enterprise encounters a stolen shuttlecraft and pursues it. They use a tractor beam to bring the shuttle aboard and we meet Loki. The half-black, half-white humanoid feels persecuted at Kirk's interrogation over the theft of the shuttlecraft and refuses to answer any more questions. 
Moments later, the Enterprise collides with an invisible one-man ship, and we meet Commissioner Beale. An alien with similar pigmentation is our other guest. He claims to be in pursuit of the political traitor Loki. Kirk takes Beale to sickbay to confront Loki, and the two use terms such as slavery, oppression, master race, lack of equality, and so on. Beale insists they return to their home planet Sharon so that Loki can face judgment. Kirk refuses, so Beale uses mind powers to steer the ship to Sharon. All attempts to apprehend and stun the aliens prove ineffective, so the captain initiates the ship's self-destruct sequence. Beale releases the ship, and they head to Arianus to decontaminate the planet. Meanwhile, Loki finds an audience in the recreation room to listen to his side of the story. Spock eavesdrops as Loki tells tales of the persecution he and his kind face on his planet. Sulu and Chekhov inform Loki that this sort of persecution was primitive 20th century thinking and has long been eliminated. Spock and Kirk socialize with Beale and listen to his side of the conflict. Spock mentions the theory of evolution. Lieutenant Uhura reads a message from Starfleet Command over the intercom. It's not the news Commissioner Beale was hoping for, so he expresses his frustration. The comrades point out to Beale that he and Loki seem to be of the same breed, citing their similar pigmentation. Beale assumed it was obvious to the comrades that he is black on the right side while Loki and his people are white on the right side. Spock points out how Vulcans had once been wildly emotional and were often committed to irrationally opposing points of view leading to destruction. Beale is not convinced. After decontaminating the planet, Chekhov informs the captain he is unable to set course for Starbase 4. Beale confesses he shorted out the directional controls and the self-destruct circuits. The crew is like, oh crap, here we go again. Loki and Beale go at each other again with their version of name-calling and hate speech. Once in the visual range of Sharon, they discover every humanoid is dead because they have annihilated each other. Kirk implores them to stop fighting since their cause is now pointless. Loki refers to them as idealistic dreamers and jumps into the turbo lift. They end up chasing each other around the ship while images of burning cities play in their minds. They transport themselves to the surface of Sharon. The crew make the sad observation that all they have left is their hatred. All right. So, a little over-the-top message there, trying to hammer home the whole race thing to through the window of the 1960s during the civic, you know, civil rights movement, of course. You know, um, it didn't get great reviews from people like uh, Harlan Nelson, who wrote uh, City on the Edge of Forever. You know, he said it was a little over the top. So, but I liked it. I mean, I thought, you know, to the general audience, it tries to at least get the message across in some way. It didn't seem to change a lot of things, but it did bring Star Trek fans, you know, a little bit maybe closer together and more accepting of everything that was going on in the, during that time. You know, and, and Danger and I, we lived through that, right? What do right. you remember from that period? <clears throat> um, just uh, a lot of wondering what was going to happen next and where things were going and how far it was going to go. Uh, 
And uh, but it, I remember uh, specifically watching that episode, and uh, I think it's probably about the halfway mark where um, you know they're um, talk. I think it's Kirk that's talking to both of the um, aliens, you know, and he said, you know, I don't understand why you guys don't get along, and and you know, and well, we're not the same race. Well, what do you mean you're not the same race? He's, you're both half white and half black. And uh, Beale says, I'm half white on the right side. He's half black on the right side. And that's what distinguished the the two groups there. Um, other than the superficial coloring, they were identical. Um, uh, an identical species, much like, you know, we have black, white, Asian, whatever. Um, they happen to have, uh, you know, people that were white on the right side and black on the left or black on the right side and white on the left. And that's what allowed them to create the discrimination between one group and the other. So <clears throat> if you had the right, the right coloring, you were running this the the um the society like commissioner beale uh and um and all the people that uh, that he ran with um much like here if you were white at the time you were kind of pretty much running society and those that were you know minorities or of other races uh didn't have the same power and uh in their society they <clears throat> eventually took it so far that I mean, neither neither side was able to compromise, and it ended up completely destroying their civilization. And so, I think that was the message there that Star Trek was trying to get across, whether heavy-handed or not. That you know, if we can't learn to embrace and accept our differences and learn to work together towards common cause, that we're going to end up that same way. Yeah, I agree. So, Jermaine, what do you remember about that episode? Agreed. Even looking at it um, all these years later, I think the very first time that I saw it, it was probably either in the... No, it had to have been in the 90s, the first time that I saw that particular episode. And <clears throat> the fact that, you know, they black on one side, white on the other side, as soon as you saw them and you knew that they had a problem, it was like, it was put in your face. And I think that was done for a specific reason. They weren't trying to hide yeah. from the issue. They no. were trying to, they were trying to look, this is what we're trying to say. Right. Yeah. Um, and they made it so easy to understand, so easy to comprehend. And they dressed it down to its most minuscule level. It's just a difference between, yep. between the two of you. Um, and is this what you're really going to, to fight about? Um, and, uh, you know, and looking at it also from the prism of, you know, 300 years in the future. Yeah. You know, it, it looks petty. It looks small. Um, and again, that's exactly what they were, in my opinion, trying to go for. Yeah. 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 It did yeah, seem kind of. Go ahead. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I, I thought it was good. I mean, I, um, sometimes I think uh, when you do shows like that um the message might be too subtle for some people and i kind of like the fact that sometimes it's just right there in your face there's no mistaking it um you know when it 
and when it pops out, I mean, you know, I was probably eight or nine at the time. So, you know, when I saw it and suddenly, you know, they made the, well, he's, you know, white on the right side, he's black on the right side. Um, I was like, oh, shit. I didn't even <laughs> yeah. catch that, you know? You didn't even catch that. You didn't you even know? catch that. You don't even yeah. notice, you know? Right, right. I didn't even realize that. And I'm like, wow, so, okay. So I can imagine aliens coming to Earth and looking at all humans and thinking, we all yeah. look the same to them, right. you right. know? But we see these differences that, that tends to, to divide us. You know, I mean, they even had names for each other, you know, monotone human uh, for us, monotone humans, useless pieces of bland flesh, you know, mono, monocolored trash, do-gooders, bleeding hearts. Right. <laughs> you know, they had right. names for, for us because uh, sacks of water. Us. What was it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You remember of mostly water. Yeah, useless, yeah. useless pieces of bland flesh was one of the things that Loki called, <laughs> called the uh, Enterprise crew. So, yeah, just it's two mentalities with extreme viewpoints. So it wasn't logical to Spock, you know. And yeah. uh, one little Here's side note: this was <clears throat> the, this is actually the very first time that the self-destruct sequence was ever initiated. All used all the way up to Picard in season yeah. two, episode one, with Stargazer, when he called it the auto destruct. Right. You know, and right. Uh, the stock footage of them running down the hallways that was um, World War II bomb raiding stuff mm. so i don't know if you noticed in my, my in my intro there was kind of an angle when you first see frank gorshin i did that sort of an homage to to frank gorshin's role in uh, in batman because you always see the the lair for the bad guys and batman was always filmed sideways uh, so, uh, so here's a trivia question for you danger can you <laughs> think of another batman star that appeared in the original series Another guest oh, from Um I can't come up with one off the top. Okay. It was Ooh, Yvonne Craig. Uh, Yvonne Craig. She played Batgirl. She was oh, Marta, the wow. Orion slave girl in Whom Gods Destroy, season three, episode oh. 16. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, that's good stuff right there. Say, you know what? Comments? I've got a question about that episode that um, occurred to me uh, when I watched it. Um, oh, it was maybe a couple of years ago, I think it was on, probably about the start of the pandemic. They were, you know, we started watching Star Trek over our lunch hour because we were working yeah. from home, you know, and we had the extra time. <laughs> and I remember watching that episode, right? And I remember thinking, I wonder if they considered casting an african-american as loci in that and if they had would it have had the same impact or would people have because it was an african-american with you know half black half white people would have seen you know okay he looks african-american and maybe they already would have said well yeah you know He's right to discriminate against him. So maybe using two white actors to show that these two really are the same and it is just the superficial coloration that makes them separate. Maybe right. maybe that was an intentional choice to give it more of an impact. I don't know. Hmm. What do you think, yeah. right? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I definitely see what you're, what, where you're going and it makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. I don't uh, know if that it, was intentional it, 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 or not. It would be be interesting to be able to talk to Roddenberry or somebody that was part of that show <laughs> to see if that was an, a, an active consideration in that. But well, let's have a sense. But yeah, I it might it have been too well obvious. because, you know, at least it worked well for me at the age of eight or nine, whatever, when I saw it, because, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, it totally caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting anything. And I think that was great. That was a it was a good punch right there. It's like, yeah. oh, shit. To hit I, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. OK. Agreed. So I think that's our time for this segment. Uh, we got another segment coming up and that'll be. Hosted by Jermaine, whenever you're ready to take it over, sir. Yes, thank you so very much. That was an excellent show. Thank you. Um, so now we're about to transition into Deep Space Nine. The episode is Far Beyond the Stars. Now, this is um, considered one of Star Trek's um, best episodes. Um, and what I tried to do, I, I tried to make it as concise as possible. But look, this one was was difficult, right? Um, there were so many different points that I had to get. Um, before I get started, though, just want to let everyone know it was directed by Avery Brooks, the star of the show. This is a recap of Deep Space Nine's Far Beyond the Stars. In the opening of the episode, Cisco and Major Kira are commiserating about the loss of a Federation ship to the Dominion and Cardassians. Benjamin's father is on the station visiting him and Jake. Captain Cisco makes a comment about how he feels the Federation makes positive steps in the right direction. And then all of a sudden things get taken from them and he wonders whether or not he's got enough strength left in him to continue the struggle. His father counsels him and tells him that no one is indispensable, but wants him to really think about his decision. It is in that moment that Cisco sees someone on the bridge of the station, that someone is out of character. Later, while talking to Cassidy Yates, he sees another character and this time decides to follow him, and he ends up in New York, 1950s. Back on the station, Bashir discovers that what's happening to Cisco is similar to what happened when the prophets had given him visions. Back in the 1950s, Benny, who is played by Cisco, is in a writer's room. An artist presents the group with a rendition of Deep Space Nine, which immediately makes every part of Benny's physical body react and immediately accepts the drawing for a story he will write. Readers of the stories are wanting to know who the writers are, but the owner of the publication does not want to put out the image of their one and only female or Black authors. While leaving the office, Vinny runs into two cops who begin to question why he's there, what he's wearing, and his employment. While feeling harassed, Vinny assuredly explains his situation, but not without a threat from one of the police officers that if they were to see him again, he will experience a different outcome. On his way home, a preacher tells Benny that the prophets need him to express what's on his heart so that his words can set people free. While home, beginning, Benny begins to write and realizes what he writes is amazingly becoming his reality. The next day, Benny visits his girlfriend who works at a diner. She attempts to convince him to quit writing and go into the restaurant business. Then the ball player from Cisco's Visions walk in. After some light flirting with Benny's girlfriend, she asks why a famous ball player is still willing to live in the city, to which he responds that they're still getting used to him playing with them and that living with them is a whole other matter. Then Jimmy, the local man with the hookup, walks in and tries to sell Benny a watch. Benny asks why he hasn't tried to get a real job. Jimmy laughs and says, as what? 
a dishwasher and laughs. He likes being his own boss and setting his own hours. The two of them argue about whose life is better, which is a retread on the dynamics between Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois. Vinny explains that this time he's going to be writing a story about colored people living in outer space and attempts to convey how this could change how people feel about blacks in America. Jimmy continues to laugh and Cassie almost gives him a worried look. But back at the office, everyone is applauding Benny for the great writing that he's done. They love the attention to detail and how it affects women and their placement in society. But the editor walks in and crushes Benny's soul. He tells Benny that he cannot publish the article because the hero is a Negro and the head of a space station. He says people won't believe it. He fears it might even cause a race riot. He tells Benny the only way he'll run the story is if the captain were white. Back at the diner, Benny tells his girlfriend and Jimmy his story was rejected. Jimmy explodes and reminds them that no matter when or where Negroes are, they will always be considered niggers. Realities are starting to bleed into each other, and it is affecting Benny. Again, the pastor encourages Benny to write the words of the the words to the path of righteousness. Benny goes home and continues writing. More images from both worlds continue to bleed into each other, causing Benny to believe he's seeing things. In a compromise, when he agrees to allow the first story that he's written to be the dream of a Negro, which allows the story to not be true and yet hopeful, full of excitement and ready to share he, his story, he runs into Jimmy, who looks nervous and scared. Still excited, Benny runs into the diner and tells Cassidy the good news as he kisses her passionately. They make plans for later. They run into the preacher who congratulates Benny, but warns him that the path of the prophets lead into darkness and pain. This scares Cassidy as the preacher takes Benny's ear to sense his pa. Hope and despair walk arm in arm, he tells him. They hear shots and Benny runs towards it. He realizes Jimmy has been shot and overcome by grief. And emotions, he struggles to get him and the cops stop him, stop him and begin fighting. When Vinny gets to the office, he learns that the publication won't run. The publisher has decided not to run the article because the publication did not live up to his expectations. Acknowledging this, Benny then, in defiance, quits his job. They ask Benny to try to stay calm. Benny says, no, being calm has never got him a damn thing. He cries that he's a human being and acknowledges that the future he created is real and no one can stop an idea from existing. In the back of an ambulance, the pastor tells Benny to rest easy and that he's walked in the path of the prophets. There is no greater glory. Needing to understand whether he is Benjamin Sisko or Benny, the pastor tells him that he is both the dreamer and the dream. Back on Deep Space Nine, Captain Sisko wakes up. According to Bashir, everything is back to normal with his brain scans, but he can't explain why. In Sisko's cabin, his father enters. He wants to know whether Benjamin will remain in Starfleet. Reflecting on his recent experience, Sisko affirms that he will remain on the space station. Hmm. Guys, that was a that, that was a lot in um, less than an hour. <laughs> I know, it, you know it's hard it's hard to fit in these these uh synopsis in just a, a couple of minutes you know well, you, well even so when i was it's negotiating tough. like what to put in it was like some things like like you almost had to talk about them because because they became right. 
important later. Mm-hmm. Um, right, exactly. And exactly. so it, it was, it, and especially for those who might not have seen this particular episode, you know, there are some people out yeah. there who haven't watched Star Trek, um, <laughs> or all the all the episodes to all the shows. And so it's sometimes a little good to um, to go over all of yeah. that. Um, so to me. Um, Danger to to what you uh, said. I think in the in the previous segment, this was one of those episodes where they weren't trying to hide from right. you know what was. Um, they were you know like bam like in your face, um, yeah. and even like some small anecdotal um, evidence about the lives that these people lived and how it affected them. Um, I don't know like uh, if you can recall the first time that you ever saw this particular episode, like, what were your thoughts about it? Um, I, I don't know who wants to go first. I, you know what? I don't even know if either of you have even seen this episode. I've, I've, it's I've been a long it, time. But it's, yeah, but it was a while back, and uh, I'm trying to remember more details about it. Uh, your your intro is very good, though. Um, and um, I can, I can re- kind of remember fleeting impressions of it the first time I saw it and I thought it was a good episode and I liked it. Um, it really kind of showcased the, the difficulty for African-American writers and authors of the time, you know, and how difficult it was for them to publish anything that, that, that showed African-American people in a good light in leadership roles or anything like that. And, um, you know, you you really felt like, you know, it's just just sad that that, you know, society is like that. It was like that. And to some degree is like that even today. Um, you know, we've seen um, uh, some of the uh, major science fiction awards um, have issues where, you know, they've tried to bring in more diverse material from different writers with different perspectives. And uh, there's been kind of a backlash against that by certain groups, you know, um, that um, don't think it should be changed. And um, I think that's wrong. I think it needs to embrace all cultures and all peoples. And I think the more diverse science fiction is, it only makes it richer for everybody. And um, so... Yeah. So like in in the in the in this particular episode, um, what I thought was also good was um, them or not them, but the episode itself was illuminating the fact that, you know, you had some very um, well-known people who were known in both groups, groups meaning white community, black community. Um, And and the comment was, you know, why do you still live here? Um, And his response was basically, you know, look, I'm. I'm still trying to make it in the game. Right. Don't don't make me move because that's a whole new can of worms. Yeah, you, know, right. you know what I'm saying. So right. it's right. it's talking about housing. It's talking about you know all layers upon layers of of different things. Um, right. That was that uh that the that blacks during that time had to face, and this was before the civil rights movement. Right. Yeah. This is in the 1950s. Well, yeah. it, it kind of right. started in the 50s, but I mean the culmination of it was the, the 1960s. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah me, but oh, I'm sorry, Roy. Yeah, for me, this is one of those fun episodes, and that's what I liked about Deep Space Nine is they they had some fun with their episodes, unlike what you know Next Generation and Voyager did. Is they they just kind of went out outside and did some really fun things. I mean, 
you know, the actors got to get out of their costumes for once, you know, and, and, and play other people, you know, you still had the same people kind of like the episode where, you know, Jedzia Dax went back in time and got to see Kirk and Spock, like right there in the mm-hmm. same room. With mm-hmm. them. You know, they did fun things like that. And, and this one was fun, but with a message too, you know, and it almost makes me wonder if they're trying to think about the struggles that Gene Roddenberry might've had when he was trying to, you know, pitch some of his episodes, you know, that, that seemed to cross a lot of barriers that the networks were like, whoa, 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 you know, we can't, right. we can't do that, you know. Right. So, yeah. Right. And it's especially at the end. So, no, no, Roy, you made, like, you made an excellent point. I remember when I first saw this in the 90s, I remember thinking that that was, you know, part of, like, what was going on when, when they were writing this. Um, but towards the end of it, you know, watching it, you know, you know, year after year after year after year, after year it it changes its its meaning. And what I mean is when I first saw this particular episode, I had not seen um, anything like that before. I, I didn't see police officers treat um, men on the street in a particular way. I didn't. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't. Um, and the only idea of a, of a police officer beating a, a black man at that time, I was still in high school, right? Sure. It, it, it was foreign to me and it wasn't until like Rodney King. And, you know, of Rodney course, King. this was after Rodney King. Right. This was after yeah. Rodney King. And so, you know, that was part of you know what was going on in the culture at that particular time. But I've, all of those different elements were, were being exposed um, all in one episode. Mm-hmm. Like that was amazing. like when we say race and discrimination, like. It was a lot going on in this one episode, and right. I, that's why I really wanted to um, to talk about this episode. Yeah, no, it's yeah. a good episode, man. And, and just hearing your recap of it makes me want to go watch it again, um, <laughs> just to kind of refresh my memory. Yeah, definitely, yeah. You know, definitely. Yeah, um, season yeah. six, I think it's uh, episode sixteen. I think something like okay. that. Okay, for I those of you on Paramount Plus, too. far beyond the stars, right? Yes, sir. That's it. All right. <laughs> All right, y'all. It has been uh, just at 30 minutes. <laughs> um, thank you all so very much for joining us. Um, uh, again, um, excellent show, Roy. Excellent show. Thank you, Danger, for joining us. Um, You're of welcome. course, we're going to be there for you um, next time that you do this. All right. Nice. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Oh, no doubt. Just for you, just for you, Jermaine, you are the dreamer and the dream. <laughs> 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 See you. Live long and prosper, y'all. Later. Now, again, if, I'm going to say this again because we're near the end of our show. If you are our allies, we are not talking to you. We are not talking to you. This does not. Okay, we're not talking to you. Stop trying to take our and making your god business. It ain't got nothing to do with you. It ain't got nothing to do with you. Our experience of grief independently. Bruh. Yes. <laughs> I love that they're in the comments. It's so much is like I'm just reading the comments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should be.
brought that child out. That's such a good point, Will. God, that's such a good point. And he's really thought about it too. You should be here. Will, get over here. I thought though. I thought he had like I thought he had a girlfriend on Insta. It's been ages since I've, I've mucked about, but. Okay, moving on, let's move on, let's move on, let's move on. Oh yeah, we gotta, we gotta move on, we gotta move on.